Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best founders and investors to help you scale a business from 1 million to 1 trillion. Today's guest is Christian, the CEO of IFMQ. Christian, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mike, for having me. It's great to be here. It's my pleasure. And you have a, an amazing story. And we always love these stories of companies that are able to bootstrap before raising uh, venture capital. It's, it's, it's now very rare that I have a company that is older than Skillet Valley. So you were founded in May of 20, uh, 2012, according to your LinkedIn. We started in Jan of 2013. So you are kind of six months uh, older than than Skillet Valley. So, <laughs> so that, that that's really an amazing journey. But yeah, let's start with your background, your story, and uh, how did you went starting up IVMQ? Yeah, hundred percent. So it has been a long journey. I think for us, it gets we get eleven. I think in May, so closely before our eleventh birthday, and a lot of things have happened uh, since then, and even before then. I've always been interested in kind of programming or software in general. My father was an electrical engineer and I was early on having a computer at my hands in elementary school. I programmed like a small thing in Microsoft Access for my for my mother and her library and so on. And I then studied computer science later on, which always was kind of, I felt was my passion. And before in school, no, I, I didn't like school that much, but Finally, studying was really for me was something like, oh, finally I'm uh, there where I, I belong. And it was always cool to see how to, you can build as a single person a software or something that can be used by millions of people. Right. And this is also something that really inspired me to not only study computer science, but also I kind of always wanted to, to do something on my own. Like starting a company mm-hmm. was always in the back of my mind somehow. And, right. and thank God in, in uh, doing an internship, while studying, I met uh, my co-founders, Dominic and Christoph. Uh, we then went on, even still studying, founding uh, what later became HiveQ. Got it. And uh, Tom and, and Christoph, they are they. What are their roles in in the company, Christian? So Dominic and Christoph, yeah. So Dominic is our uh, CTO. Dominic, got it. Sorry. And and key founder and co-founder, and yep. Christoph is one of our principal engineers. Got it. Sounds great, and and you are based in in Munich, correct? In in Germany. Yes, I'm based uh, um, around Munich, Germany. In a small town called uh, Landshut. Amazing. Uh, is is it kind of uh, in in the outside part of the city, or how, how far is, so it, is it from Munich? It's easier to get there than to Munich from the airport. Okay, that's cool. So we have a better better <laughs> train access. <laughs> yes, we have a better train connection than Munich itself, but it's like very close, like with, 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 without traffic, 45 minutes uh, from Munich. Sounds amazing. And uh, IVMQ, so what is the problem that you guys uh, are solving since 2012? Yeah, so I think early on, I think um, we have seen like in being a software kind of consulting company early on that uh, there's... In the project we had in um, we consulting, we had kind of book for consulting, that they wanted to connect like a, a trains, a different trains with um, like uh, saying like how many passengers getting in and out of the train. And the train they like, went to hills up and down. It was really hard like, kind of to connect this to the cloud. Uh, and uh, there was a protocol called MQUT used. Mm-hmm. And MQUT was originally built like in, in 1999. Uh, by two gentlemen out of uh, IBM and Eurotech, uh, Arl Nipper and Andy Stanford Clark. And the protocol is ideally suited for IoT use cases, but kind of it was not there was not much software out there back in the day on how to use it in the enterprise kind of scenario. And when we uh, was, were in the project, uh, we just kind of saw like what, what they were doing. We were building the front end to this, but we were very curious about how can even like greater amount of devices back then it was just like a few hundreds but mm-hmm. there are like studies out there even back then that there will be billions of devices connected on the whole right. planet and we were always like thinking we were curious about like how can how can you connect all these devices how can you mm-hmm. kind of bring the value that's by knowing what the device is all about about a car or the logistic container or the drone 
how can we enable them to get this data off these devices and understand really what's going on and help the company or the, the customer to really kind of bring their business to the next level or even kind of help saving lives in the process, help saving our planet and so on. So there's a lot of use cases when you know more about devices and the data out there, you can do about it. So this, mm-hmm. we saw this, this big problem that there's not a, a single software out there that's really easy to use because we mm-hmm. believe that software should be easy to use, easy to kind of install, easy to use right. by developers, but also should scale to enterprise grade and integrate with all the kind of existing kind of infrastructure or applications as well, like databases, like security, uh, like existing um, ERP systems and so on. Mm-hmm. Really in this kind of uh, having all of these things together, like being secure, being highly scalable, reliable, like not losing any data and being flexible. And we didn't see this back then. This is why we went on to build HivenQ as, as uh, kind of, first of all, in a very kind of easy way and in a very kind of scrappy way. But uh, then we saw the first success and we built it ready from there. And you were talking about consulting. Did you guys start as kind of more a consulting business and then you evolved it to a product business or uh, did you start yes. with, with products from day one? No, we, we went really out of university back then. So but... we really started out doing consulting where we saw the first projects. And one of them was, thank God, was somebody thinking with uh, MQT and IoT. Okay. This is what really kind of made us curious. So I think right. one of the... the the strengths we all co-founders we share is like being naturally curious to understand how things work and how to make things better. And I think this is what also like what triggered all of us to to right. embark on this adventure. Right. And and today, what is the ideal customer profile, Christian, for IBMQ? Yeah. Um, so I think currently we have different. So when we started out, we were mostly focusing on like ent- enterprise customers, and it's still our our key segment having really big companies who have a lot of devices like automotive companies or manufacturing companies, uh, logistics companies, and they all have, let's say, the problem that they have a, the biggest pain because they have so many devices, it's way harder to 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 kind of orchestrate right. all of this. But also uh, we have nowadays, we want to make sure people, even starting out at home or starting out, mm-hmm. let's say, smaller, we have offerings for free just to get started easily by just right. connecting maybe their refrigerator at home or their um, temperature right. scale or whatever, like just getting onwards towards, let's say, understanding how the technology works and then maybe later bring it maybe to their uh, workplace or bring it somewhere else. Yeah. Because we really want to make sure that everybody is, can use this kind of fascinating technology connecting uh, the devices, whatever they are. I think we especially kind of are provide the most value, of course, in the enterprise uh, uh, segment or people with a lot of devices. But this does not mean we only focus on this one. We really want to kind of also help the community start getting started out with, let's say, low low price points with easy-to-use offerings and then slowly kind of getting on the journey with us. So kind of going from an enterprise go-to-market motion for a product-led growth uh, go-to-market motion, right? Making yeah. it more bottom-up and until... Yes. Some years ago, or or very recently, it was much more a top-down uh, approach. Also, because we needed to fund the development of uh, of the product, and and given also the the curve of adoption of the of the category under the software, I know that all of us have heard about IoT for a long time now. Yeah. But uh, as we all also had a guest here about from the industry uh, 4.0, also from uh, Munich, if I'm not wrong. Uh, but from Germany, yeah, I'm I'm completely sure, and uh, and we were discussing about the timing, right? So we we heard a lot about those buzzwords, but it takes a long time for for those innovations and buzzwords to become really uh, early majority or mainstream, and that we are really able to scale them them up, right? Yeah, also one of the main things we we saw, right? So um, I think because. It was not completely top down from the beginning on because we we saw the need early on for the technology MQDT, which is a protocol that kind of shows like or can help devices uh, speak a different language, like their language. Okay, uh, so it's very similar. Like what HTTP is for mm-hmm. the Internet of Humans, that they're using the web browser and so on, is 
MQTT is for Internet of Things. So it's building nice. a language that, that devices talk. And for us, it was always about uh, like getting our customers or like interested people, like prospects to, to understand what the technology can do. And a lot of the specific hybrid can do, but more about like the big kind of shift in technology is happening from the internet uh, uh, of humans, like the HTTP H to internet of things, which is MQDT. And by helping people to understand this on like a, like having easily consumable blog posts, doing um, conference talks and all these things for free, we kind of also like kind of addressed basically developers and architects who are using right. Were using our things and then they started also coming in bottom up and then we, nonetheless they were, were from big enterprise companies so it was something like what we nowadays call or it's called like an inbound uh inbound or content right. marketing approach right but this also like helped us a lot to to bootstrap because the key people that they reached out to us because they saw us on let's say uh trade shows or the shows of different kind of uh, events or, or read our blog posts uh, and then therefore we got the, we got the kind of an expert status and then we could help them to find the best solution and also kind of uh, kind of tell them why they should use HiveMQ or why we built even HiveMQ to fill in this kind of void between having pure open source solutions and having really kind of uh, typical um, like um, built like sweet solutions uh, where you have get all out of one hand but not being flexible enough for let's say our cloud native environment. So you identified a, a problem, an opportunity, and you were able to create a new category and to be the leaders of that category early on. And of course, being a, a new category, you needed to educate the market and to become yes. thought leaders uh, in, in that category. And uh, and, and that, that's the good thing. That's what we like to see in, in startups, but sometimes it takes time, right? So which is to invest in content, thought leadership, yes. and uh, it's it's not something like paid ads that you will see no. results uh, tomorrow. It's it's a, a long-term game, but it's much more sustainable in terms of organic growth. And then uh, the referral mechanism will start to work because then uh, if you want to do something related to MQ, MQTT or that protocol that you were talking, uh, everyone will talk about IVMQ. You should talk with them and then people are coming to you uh, inbound. And those are were kind of the first years of IVMQ all kind of going through from consulting, uh, creating all that content uh, out there. And, and then starting developing a, a more scalable um, product. Right. Let, let's jump a little bit to the future or to the present today. Uh, where are you in terms of stage of growth uh, today? What, what can you disclose in terms of headcounts, yeah. if revenue, uh, any amount raise it, whatever you can share? Yeah. Um, yes, for sure. So I think it's different now, right? We have used all the initial customers to really scale up. We have developed... Now, the good thing is having big customers early on is they help us scale and this helps us to get to a uh, double digit a million in ARR. Uh, and this is really like, something we, we're very proud of. Uh, also, a big that uh, we have raised uh, 50 million uh, in funding in, in euros, mm -hmm. uh, like roughly about 10 million for our Series C and then another 40 million for our Series A. Yeah. And uh, I think the, the most the key things there is like like we have also always like looked at how can we improve the like customer experience and therefore funding was really good to have to really accelerate more as we figured out what our key industries are and we kind of added the funding funding on top that really helped us kind of grow the last uh, two and a half years right so and, and when did you raise your seed round uh, christian so yeah i think we started raising million, like yeah. like two and a half years ago basically uh, okay. Is when we started in the middle of COVID, so okay. I um, think the initial idea, 2020. Came, yeah, the initial idea um, came out of because I was like, we were part of an accelerator, the chairman yeah. accelerator in Silicon Valley, um, and therefore we Dominic and I got exposed really kind of uh, in the Silicon Valley ecosystem, and for mm -hmm. us it was before it was not not so imminent for us what's going on there, but for then afterwards it was very clear that like. Getting the into the, the VC game is really uh, another booster for us. We're already seeing that our product is is arrived in the market. Like big brands are, like for example, like BMW, Audi, Liberty Global, 
Netflix, MetaNet, and others all over the world, basically from the US to Europe, uh, a few also in Asia are kind of using us. So now, mm -hmm. how can we bring this to the next level? This is basically the, our main driver for adding uh, like capital right. to, to HiveMQ and make sure we can grow faster and really use the things we learned to accelerate the learning with the, with the capital raised. Right. So you you were saying that you kind of raised in the second half of uh, 2020 the the seed rounds and uh, and, and before we go to um, to that uh, path, what is the the size of the team now as well, uh, Christian? Just to be clear, we started raising like in roughly 20, end of 2020. We did the round I think in 21. April April okay. May 2021, Correct. and we did another round basically a year after. Exactly. In May of yeah, 22, so. that's the 42 million uh, yes. round. Okay, yeah. cool. And in terms of, of the size of, of the team? So, yeah, so we're currently like going going towards uh, 200 people. Uh, this is our, our current, like we have more than that, more, more uh, there. And it's really a decent sized team. We, we grew a lot in the yeah, last uh, couple of uh, like months even to having a lot of more have people on board in all teams to really make sure yeah. we can can grow um, massively in all ends. And, and kind of from uh, 2012 to 2021, you kind of went through a bootstrapping mode and you went to uh, 2 million ARR, if I'm not wrong, uh, before you, you raised, right? So which is kind of raising a seed round with that amount of capital or amount of revenue it's it's quite impressive right it's much more revenue for raising a series a than than a, than a seed round but of course the, the names of the round are, are what they are right? yeah no i think it's i think we i've always been like uh like advocate of, of say showing first we can do we can really achieve something because right. just raising for the sake of raising i think it's not it's not what I think is ideal. I think that nowadays market is even I think it's even impossible to raise without having True. revenue or even add of time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I think for us it was all like showing first what we can do, and then we should we have kind of some proof that we really double down on that. Uh, right. And we have we kind of grow up like that, so we always have been scrappy, having a bootstrapping mindset, um, and getting. A, one example I think for that is uh, we like I told you before we are going to conferences, we're going to kind of trade shows, but we didn't book the big booth, right? We just booked, we just did like call for papers, we got the speaker engagements uh, in, and I just went there for this. And sometimes conferences would also be open to paying our uh, travel and would paying like one night of accommodation, so we really could go there for free, uh, bringing our message out and without having any any cash burned. This right. is the kind of one of the, the early on things we did, and we're still kind of trying to get to as much as much as uh, of our papers as possible because these are like good things to get in front of an audience without having paying mm -hmm. I think like thousands of dollars for right. for a big booth. It's kind of more much more a bootstrapping mindset to validate the problem and get to product market fit. Of course, it it might take a little bit more time but it's much more sustainable growth and when and that's what you say and then you really use the capital in order to accelerate growth but not to prove that there is an opportunity uh yeah. there right because in yeah. that way you you prove that opportunity in much more uh, capital efficient way in the way that you use it consulting to fund the development and and uh, yeah. the clients also to fund the development of um of the company and of of the product right Yes, also something that currently is, is very much helping us to like in the current environment because we like, we have now accelerated last year a lot going into like a more out of the bootstrapping mindset to say, hey, how can we step on the gas? How can we really right. uh, get to the next level? Now it's a little bit more again dialing it back a little because the, the overall market is not kind of that that uh, I think yeah forward looking yeah. or that not that good looking. So we are in good shape. We still have I think. Uh, uh, a lot of cash in the bank, but still, I think we have adapted again uh, to ensure that we are having a strong financial position, and we are the best way to kind of, uh, yeah, going towards higher scale. But anyway, uh, you get, you got from two million to ten million uh, plus ARR uh, in a very short period of time. So, 
which shows that you know the how do you say that the overnight successes takes kind of a decade uh to be built right so then it's 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 clear that oh there is a lot of potential here but really it requires a lot of and, and that's what, what i like to say right so we never know when we will need when we will come to product market fit it might take six months 12 months uh five years 10 years you might never get to product market fit um but but then if you have the foundations right it might be much easier than to scale up much faster right and it seems that it, it's what's happening with ivmq now that you are scaling from you scaled from one to ten much faster than you what you did from zero to one i imagine yeah yeah no, no for sure i think it's, we, we we had a good foundation uh, built yeah and i think this is of course, I think it's always like interesting to see how the, the higher the scale it gets, the more let's say difficult, of course, it gets. But we had a good foundation; we just built on that. Hiring the experienced people, I think, is one of the key things mm -hmm. that I I learned as well. Is like when we were bootstrap, I think it's always hard to get the best people because you can't really pay uh, right. the salaries that are um, kind of necessary to do that. So now I think we have this good mix of it. Can we always don't want to overpay, so we want to find exactly the, the right spot where people are really motivated they are like have the startup spirit they really yeah. want to kind of uh, change the world basically and these are people want to bring on board that help us to grow and having to the next level in other words the bootstrapping mindset became kind of one of one of the values uh one of the main pillars of your culture uh yeah or for ivmq yes cool so first uh first years of the company all about uh, creating that uh, positioning yourself as thought leaders in in that category creating the category and you were able to get to to 2 million ARR something also super interesting that that you shared with me was that you were able to land customers in the US without boots on the ground and uh, we'll always talk a lot in in Europe about expansion to the US being a critical market to scale up um, our companies so what has been your experience in the in the US market? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think this is, this is an interesting one because I think I learned this about like really later because we always were about the, the mindset of saying we are a global company. So we never had marketing materials in German, always, always English. Mm -hmm. So nice. But it made, made us available and visible for the US market from day one. But when we started the website, in 20, 2013 or something. So we're always like on the, we could be found, right? And I think this this helped us tremendously because as I said before, like we uh, were doing a lot of things on our inbound motion. So people yeah. from the US could find us, they did outreaches to us proactively and say, hey, we wanna we want this software. They really kind of uh, pulled our technology again over the whole MQT theme on top, but we really say, hey, um, there's like if you need IoT solutions, you use MQET as a protocol. If you use MQET, you will use HiveMQ. And uh, that really also worked well, like basically also in the, in, in the US. The company was just reaching out and saying, hey, we want to try it out. We want to um, like talk to you. We want to get your help on how to build a solution and so on. So even before COVID, um, we kind of helped US companies over Zoom, over Teams um over webex and all these solutions out there to uh build up uh, solutions with hiveq and for us it was very natural to do this right nobody told us that you can right. only do business in the us when you are on the ground nobody told us we didn't know we just that, that's great kind of didn't, not didn't care. <laughs> yeah. yeah we didn't care so we just uh yeah have got started and of course uh like growing bigger accounts there and seeing it like over the years, I think it, it really now helps to have people on the ground. Myself, I, I will be in the US a lot, a lot uh, in the next coming uh, months and years. We also support our team there. We also living, live there part of my, my time, really supporting there. But I think the main, getting started, I think we, we think now have more revenue in the US than the rest of the world without, without uh, initially having somebody on the ground. So you had a global approach since day one, uh, but maybe the first customers were more European uh, oriented, not specifically German, right? Because you had yes. your website yeah. and communication already in English. Uh, and then you started having more inbound coming from the US and it became the 
the dominant uh, market, right? Yes, exactly. And now we also have a lot of people also in the US, right? So we definitely see the the need for for having people there. It's not something that we can, yeah. especially with enterprise software like ours. It's uh, uh, like goes to the deal volume to the six and seven digits. So you need to have people in front in front of customer really building this right. trustworthy relationship. I think this is necessary. Uh, but like for building out, it's not like not immediately necessary. It depends a lot about, about the market and the position you are in and so on. So like there's no one size uh, fits all to say it would be possible in any any case. But I think for us, yeah. as we're pushing a new technology, it was it was easily it was easily possible, and we didn't see uh, any kind of yeah disadvantage or something. And um, what is your policy around the, your your people and the offices? Do you have offices in in the US and in Europe, or are you kind of uh, remote uh, friendly? Uh, what what is your policy yeah. around that? <laughs> yeah, um, so we are remote first. So I think all meetings, like big meetings, are always uh, kind of remote meetings. We also have offices, so we have uh, like a kind of a like EMEA headquarters here in Lansford. We're currently about to build another one uh, in Boston in the US. So right. this is our, our key locations. Um, and everybody else works from wherever they, they like to, to work from because we think it's critical to come together, I think at least once a quarter as a team or as a, as a whole company maybe every year to really, because we are, we are a startup, right? So we need to be be humble, be innovative, like changing things, pivoting here, pivoting there. And this can can only be done with really being in a room together with the, the right team, um, and then we can all go back home and back to our kind of um, yeah our place where we like to work, and then we can just coordinate over Zoom and over uh, Slack and so on. But I think right. for the critical development steps or the critical steps in every part of the organization, I think being in one room, having a whiteboard, I think it has been one of the key learnings for me, um, especially in a fast-paced environment. It's, Really right. key. Any rationale behind choosing Boston to to have your office? However, the office are not very relevant as as you guys are remote, uh, remote first company. But uh, any rationale behind because that that's one of the main decisions that always uh, founders think about, right? So should yeah. I, we go to west, east coast? Usually, time zone in the east coast helps, but also it depends. On, yeah. on the sectors and on on the customer profile that you are that you are serving them. Yeah. Um, no, so we saw thought a lot about this, and uh, um, because I think East Coast was for us a must, because our main let's say all our kind of a lot of things from us is still in Europe. Uh, we also have a lot of customer let's say in uh, all over the US. So also our leadership team is kind of uh, spanned over both continents. So really having this kind of in the middle of the time zones. Is, I think it was a must as I myself right. experienced the West Coast time zones together with Europe. And it's it's just a little bit too challenging. So we have also people there. But for like bring like for me personally to also hold the teams together and the leadership team together, it's really I think too big of a stretch. And the East Coast gives the the right amount of kind of balance in both directions. Right. And then Boston was kind of a choice, let's say there is a lot of a big tech ecosystem. You have a few customers around the area there. Uh, a lot of employees we have around there. So it was was a joint decision of multiple factors uh, that come into this uh, to make sure we find the right the right spot. And I'm quite happy with that. I think it's still early days for us there, so we we still ramping it up slowly. Um, and yeah, we're looking forward to spending more time there this right. year, next year, and onwards. So now with 200 people, of course, you need it. You, you need to keep uh, investing a lot of time on ensuring that we have the right people on the right seats and on strengthening your leadership team. And of course, your role as the CEO has been evolving a lot in in the last uh, since the beginning. But I, I, I imagine in the last two two years, because I I sensed that you had kind of the explosion in terms of headcount in the last two years, right? So yeah. Uh, maybe before raising seed round, you were uh, how many people in the company? Do you remember in in twenty one? Like like forty or something. Okay, so in in two in two years, you kind of uh, went to uh, five five. You you grew five times uh, the the ad count. So it has been yeah. kind of a roller coaster as as the CEO to be able to manage uh, such a different uh, company from year to year now. 
Right. So you were talking about the importance of hiring and uh, ensuring that you have the right people. Also, being able to invest a bit more on having the right people on board, but also don't go crazy and don't go against your bootstrapping values of not yeah. paying too yeah. much or uh, not overpaying for, for specific roles, but at the same time, not being so frugal that then you don't bring the the, the, the best people uh, yeah. to the game, right? Yeah, I think bringing the best people is one of the advices you hear so often. And it's, it's at the end, of the day, it's so true. Like having the right people, right person in the right seat, uh, it can kind of, it can work wonders. The job of the CEO, right? Yeah, yeah. This is basically what I'm spending all my time on uh, kind of currently to, to build the right team together, bring them in the right positions. They're all yeah. kind of have experienced people who have exactly like or very similar done some similar things. Yeah. And making sure we are working great together, having this kind of chemistry together, having fun together, sharing, yeah. let's say, the hard times and the good times and the awesome times uh, to make sure that having to get uh, successful or gets even more successful than we already are. Yeah, absolutely. And in terms of the roles, uh, what are the roles? Uh, what is the size of your leadership team at the moment, Christian? And uh, what are the roles of, of that leadership team? Um, yeah, so we have, we have been in, like we have different uh, parts of leadership teams. We have a C-level team, and okay. we have a kind of a, a extended leadership team. And the C-level team is just like say, just um, six people to really have yeah. a small group to work on a key thing, and then having a broad group. Uh, there's a lot of functions in there to really help who like the different like leaders of all of the teams we have. So from you know uh, legal operations, sales, marketing, um, solution right. engineering. Yeah. marketing product uh, our cloud team and so on there's a lot of the extended team there's a area every function somebody's in there then we have the yeah. c-level team who really, really kind of steers and uh, governs everything to make sure we go in the yeah. right direction finance revenue product technology uh, revenue people uh, yes exactly know, right around that right so, yeah, exactly right. So the, the typical key... setup, and and then you have the an extended. What is the size of the extended? Because I think that that's one of the main pains at this stage of growth of of your company is really being able to have a second layer of leaders that is really really strong. Because yeah. if if not, uh, the C suite will not be able to lead the company, and also the communication, right? The bottom up feedback and and uh, and the direction given by uh, the top-down uh, communication. So I think that those flows of top-down, bottom-up communication yeah. are crucial. And if yes. we don't have the second, the right second layer, uh, communication will not flow and uh, and and we might lost, be lost in translation and uh, lose efficiency and uh, lack of direction, lack of purpose, lack of fulfillment, uh, all of those stuff, all of that stuff. Yeah, no, I think this is really key, and this is also what we currently we don't have figured out the uh, like the best way yet. We like I think communication is always an issue. Like, how can you communicate more? Over communicate on the right things. Uh, I think for us, it's again bringing back more uh, kind of offsites for the leadership team. Mm -hmm. So in the C level team, we meet every six uh, weeks, and in the extended leadership team, every kind of every quarter at least once, wow, uh, every every other month. Um, to make sure really we are in, in good sync there. And it's just become more and more uh, important to be together. Uh, again, as I mentioned before, spending this, I know it could be a whiteboard uh, time with a C-level team, or mm -hmm. it could be like uh, presenting or discussing in focus groups with the leadership team on certain issues, or just bringing everybody together and aligning them on like what's, what's the two, three things we need to attack in the company, what's working, what's not working. And to making sure we all speak the same language, I think this is one of the uh, the key things that the company is really going in one direction, not in multiple. Exactly, and I think that we underestimate how difficult it is to have a, a company uh, aligned and having everyone on the same page, right? So, and 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 the first thing is is also how do we involve people on defining that direction because we know that if people are involved, it's it will be will increase the probability of of executing um, yeah. in a in a faster pace that strategy, right? And exactly right because I'm as a CEO, I'm, I think in our leadership team or our C level team, I'm the I together with Dominic, we are the less experienced people, right? So we've seen the last eleven years of Hive Q, but we have not had big leadership careers before, 
So I really uh, hire the right people that I can trust in their opinion and really bring in also the experience yeah. to help us to make the best decisions. At the end, yes, I need to also make the hard decisions, uh, but I think right. it's way way easier than having a, a very good team around you that can help and also is yeah. part of the decisions and not just um, like yeah. outside of them. I love the analogy of uh, of the of the restaurant, right? So uh, it's amazing as a manager or as a uh, as a business owner when you are not a fantastic cook, because if you are a fantastic cook, then you'll be focused on cooking and you will never grow the restaurant. So it's a blessing in disguise that you are not an amazing cook. So then you can focus on ensuring that you have a great great cooks around you and great managers to really uh, build a chain of restaurants, let's, let's say in a, in a certain way. When we are so passionate and, and so expert in a thing, sometimes it's, it's difficult to let go and, yeah. and, to, and to be the CEO and not another expert uh, in the business, right? Yeah. No, and I think this is de definitely the case. I think the, the key thing for me is like to, to ask the right questions, to, to kind of understand, like, where, like to enable people to like be fully effective in their roles. Uh, and this means a lot, a lot of kind of, a lot of sharing my knowledge, sharing my, um, thing, um, yeah, my knowledge and things I have gathered the last 11 years together with Dominic. And this is the key thing where we see the, also where we see the product in, in the future and bring this together, distilling it down and kind of more and more putting it into the people's DNA we bring on board that they can use our kind of DNA, our knowledge, our product together with what they learned about how to bring products to the market, build great products, uh, like build up the finances and, and so on with the, yeah. the people team to make sure we get the best out of all these worlds together. And, and because we are unique as a company, right? No company is just, you can't just copy everything and go with it. That's, right. That certainly works. Except you're like a franchise restaurant um, <laughs> and you already figured it out. Right. <laughs> and, and, and we're just seeing kind of your evolution as, as the CEO. And we were talking about the inbound strategy. So in the beginning, it was, it was all about your product uh, skills, your uh, go-to-market skills. Then it started evolving, also bringing uh, the fundraising skills and the recruitment skills to ensure that you have the right people yeah. on, on the right seats. How has been this shift also to care about fundraising? So, and, and you already explained it and shared the story about uh, yeah. when it, why did you decide to move to, to the fundraising stage? But maybe sharing some of your lessons learned in this last two years, right? So you the, the first one was in, in April of, of, of 21 yeah. uh, that you raised your, your seed round. So what, what has been the, the main lessons learned when yeah. you started to care about fundraising? I think in hindsight... There are a few things that made it very easy, or like maybe not very, but made it easier maybe for than others. And I think we mentioned this already: is having revenue in the books was really helping us. I would advise, or if I, it's a metrics game and not anymore yeah. just a vision. So you need to have yeah. a, a strong yes. story, but the metrics uh, are uh, explain the story, right? Before yes. you only have the story and you don't have metrics, so people need to believe that you will build the metrics. Now yeah. it's the opposite. You have the metrics, and and you have a a, a bolder vision for the future. Right? And there are definitely industries, for example, like one of our VCs investing in, in space, right? In, in like rockets. So they yeah. cannot do anything without getting an initial investment. It's very hard to That's true. build the yeah. first prototype because it's really expensive. But sure whenever you kind that. of get towards a, a software startup, I think it's there is always possible to build the first prototype, the first thing before you have the first revenue. You can build this without any uh, VC funding from my point of view. And I think entrepreneurs should be more more willing to get get do this risk because uh, it's at the end it's like proving to yourself but also proving to to the to world this is something you really need solving because if nobody's paying for that you might get funding for two three years to building something at the end nobody wants that and exactly. nobody nobody wants that I think this is like doing the due diligence your own due diligence early on I think for me is like one of the key lessons I learned and I would do it the same way if it would be possible whenever I would start again from 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 scratch but. Hopefully now really for like hiring queue is like, I don't want to start, start from scratch tomorrow. It's really has been a lot of work. So it's really for me, I'm really proud of, let's say, what we built and looking forward to see what, what's even is possible. And telling this to our team, who sometimes have been here for nine, 10 years, we're just at the beginning, right? So it's 
we have been like a 11 year history, but or almost 11 year history, but it's still the beginning. We have so much more to do. I, I love that, uh, that mentality. And um, and something that also proves that you you keep loyal to your val to your values is something that uh, that you shared uh, around, for instance, uh, a story that you have about booking uh, hotels at a certain price point. Uh, can you share that, that the story that you shared with me uh, that really uh, relates with, uh, yeah. with the values that you have? I'm not sure if you remember yeah. that story. If not, I can. Of course, uh, of <laughs> okay. course. No, so it was like recently I was um, like, I have now people who are like booking my travels. Uh, usually I normally book my travel always by myself, but now uh, kind of other people are like uh, are doing that. And I was at a hotel in London and I was able to like, I should sign in on the on the reception. And they told me like, oh, the hotel room is like 700 uh, euros per night. And I was like, what is this? Like 700 euros for one hotel night? It's like, it's like crazy. Like how, like how, even of course we can afford that every wasted money but for me this is like this breaks my heart right if you look at the, like how why should i pay like 700 euros for just one night i wouldn't do this personally so i would not pay so much uh, for one night for one person and i don't think this is reasonable as a ceo from like a startup yeah. so this is why i immediately emailed uh, my colleagues saying hey we need to what's with our policy right we need a policy to make sure we only book like up to a certain level, like maybe 200 euros or something, uh, or maybe certain exceptions, but just booking this without kind of uh, knowing what, what what the real value is out of that is like, it's, it's crazy. And I, it really, it's kind of, my heart it was like, was like shaking when I saw this. Um, it was it's something that's deep inside me. I think not spending that same money if it's not, it doesn't make any, doesn't be needed, right? So I would have gotten a, like, a very similar hotel room for like, 200 or 300, uh, which is like less than half, maybe a third of the price. Right. That's that's really a great story to import to to also uh, talk about the importance of of the CEO um, sending the right message. Exactly. With with the actions and the behaviors. The same uh, thing is we words, all right? uh, we all fly economy, right? There is no business class, no first class, high MQ because even I, like I was in the US uh, last week. It's only economy, like only the nothing else. Because if you're starting this, it's like it's like a everybody says, "Oh, dear, flying flying higher class. I want to do this as well. Why, <laughs> why, can, why can't we do this?" So right. it's twelve hours in a plane, right? So somehow we need to get, we need to get all to this. Right, right, cool. And uh, and I assume we were uh, we we jumped from the fundraising topic, but just to wrap up there. Uh, Kind of what you are saying is that now with uh, raising with two million and ten million plus, it's it's much more about the metrics. So it was not super complex to you. If you have the metrics, you are able to raise and choose the investors that you want to go uh, with. Uh, if you don't have the the metrics, you will have an hard time. Fortunately, you have the metrics so far, so uh, it was not a big deal to to close the round. It was much more about ensuring that you have the right partners on board, right? Yeah. So for us, it was more like also like telling the story the right way because we never needed to tell the story. It was the first time for us really to like do this for us. This was like the, the biggest part to really uh, make the story the right the way. This was way harder, way harder for us um, than to show the numbers because we already had them. Right. Uh, it was way, uh, way how, the, how we package this, how we kind of really kind of share the big vision we have. And I think another one is like, I never, this is so important. Like people told me and I, I, I kind of thought this is key, like really looking for the right VCs. Like the right yeah. people is so important, right? If you, if you vet them before doing reference calls with other founders, I think this is this is so, so important. Critical. Uh, yeah. And also let's learn the first one is always the hardest, right? The first round, if you have the right VCs in the round, in the next round, they also help you to get to, next funding right. round because they also like have the interest to bring the company forward the first round is is always like the hardest yeah and that's a good point because you got to two million rr at the time but there is also the question so how will you be able to double revenue every year and what is the potential of this company becoming an hundred million company so there is still uh, a narrative <laughs> and the vision to be sold right so yes okay exactly. that's, that's amazing you got here and, and even maybe the question, so it took you nine years to get here. The majority don't get here anyway, but 
how do you prove that you will be much faster getting to 10 million and 25 million yeah. uh, than what what you needed to to get here so there there is still a narrative and, uh, exactly. and a vision that needs to be to be shared to be able to raise right so it, it's and not a walk in the to park be clear, to be clear right? nobody nobody would, um, kind of is interested in like the backstory nobody just like where <laughs> it come from oh yes you're bootstrapped and you already that that ARR, that's great. Like, how do we get there? Right. This exactly. is the story everybody wants to hear. How do you get from where you are to where you want to be? This is the focus, all the, all the focus. Absolutely. So let's go to the last segment of the show, Christian, where we kind of do a ping pong of quick questions and answers. So let's start with the first one. If you would have the opportunity to meet Christian for a coffee or a tea in, in May of 2012, what advice would you offer to your younger self yeah i thought a long time about this um but i think the, my main advice would be is to follow more my intuition and and really take advice and say more cautious because everybody wants to give you advice and uh, i think i would tell to myself like listen to your heart listen to your intuition what you think is right of course advice can give you more options but at the end i or you need to decide what the right path is and this should be based on the intuition, um, based on your own gut feeling. Because I think there's no other evidence. If you don't have any, have experience in the field, then gut feeling is the only thing you can use to uh, do these decisions. And I, yeah, trusting more on myself to do the right, the right things uh, would be uh, one key advice. Absolutely. It resonates with me uh, as well. And it's super difficult for people that are bold and analytical, right? The, so sometimes we just feel that it seems the right on paper, the right thing to do on paper, but it it doesn't it doesn't feel that it's the right option. Yeah. And and sometimes there are options that don't feel right on paper, but we feel that that's the way to go. Uh, and it's super difficult to have the courage to to follow that that intuition, that that gut feeling, instead of uh, just going with your rational mind. Yeah. And it needs a lot of personal development and personal like, like self awareness. Uh, self-confidence to just exactly. be aware of that feelings be aware of let's say uh, what's what's going on and then just use these small cues uh, to make the right decisions absolutely what are you the most proud of on your journey so far yeah um i think the most proud of is that we have built something not not myself but with the whole team it actually changes lives of, of people like if it's like for example we have a customer who transports blood samples to hospitals, which actually is faster than they could before, which is really changing lives. We're helping um, automotive companies to have better customer experience with their with people. We're helping kind of manufacturing companies to have less kind of uh, or having fast like less kind of loss of their production, having faster and more efficiencies. But really, it helps us um, as as a as a as a human as humans to do something better and there are of course things that are even more like reducing carbon footprint or saving lives i think is the is what our customers are are trying to do with our solution this is really amazing to be part of something we just always providing technology we're not the end play but still having like a small piece of that is really amazing for me worst advice ever received um so the worst is really hard like, there are a lot of a lot of things uh and i think mostly this is advice that that is let's say too, like in general it's what it's too have either too generic or too specific for a certain thing um and i think the the most uh, the worst advice was, was basically to scale as fast as possible Love because it. Great yeah <laughs> Because um, yeah, again, I should have heard a little bit more to my to my gut feeling there. It's like okay, getting fast is awesome, right? But there's a certain thing we need to make sure the company scales with it, and we make the most out of out of this. Like all the people yeah. we have, we hiring to make sure they're integrated, they are on board the right way. Um, and I think this is something I guess like all of the first time founders might relate to a lot. It's a difficult one. The the right pace of growth and also unlocking the growth plateaus that will always uh, come on our way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and now the resources, your favorite book, business or non-business? Yeah, so I have so many. <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't know where I can start it. I can just tell you what I'm currently reading and, uh, yeah. and I really like. 
So there are two things. This is good strategy, bad strategy by Richard mm -hmm. uh, Rommelt, which is a, a classic one on strategy. Yeah. And the revenue acceleration playbook, how you align an authentic buyer journey across sales, marketing, and customer success by uh, Brent Keltner. Amazing additions to the list. Your favorite movie or series, Christian? So my favorite series is uh, The Wire. It's, Can you it's, share uh, more? Yeah. yeah, it's, it's uh, a US-based um, series from the 2000s. And it's about uh, showing police, drug dealers, and also like schools in America. Uh, and all very realistic from, from my point of view because the original creator ride along a police uh, car for like a year. And he basically built this show. It's very slow if you watch it. Like every episode, it's very slow paced, but a lot mm -hmm. of pieces coming together. And also, what, what I really like is that always, not always, only the the bad people are the bad ones. Also, the good people, like the cops, do sometimes mm -hmm. stupid or let's say bad things. And it shows right. both both sides. And at the end, it brings all the things together. And right. I, I really love that show. It has six, I think six um, um, different series diff um, with other episodes. It's definitely a good watch. Got it. Cool. And finally, your favorite podcasts, excluding this one. <laughs> <laughs> this one is great, I have to say. Um, I also have a lot of podcasts I, uh, I listen to. Currently, my favorite is the Human Labs podcast, which talks a lot about uh, health and uh, the body which is all mm -hmm. interesting to see like how to learn more about how our body functions right. and also otherwise like the really like the Tim Ferriss show where Tim Ferriss oh, yeah dissects a lot of different yeah. areas of business and also uh, human nature and so on it's... absolutely I didn't know that one about human labs that's the name of, of the uh, human man labs Uberman. Ah, Uberman. I know him. Uh, okay. I know the doctor behind the Uberman labs. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> well, he's, he's great. Like the, the dissecting things that normal people can also uh, somehow understand it. And also having tips and tricks, which are low cost, that really can uh, improve certain body functions. It's really it's, amazing. It's amazing. Okay. We'll check that out. That's great additions to the list. Christian, congrats for the amazing journey so far and uh, all the best for, for the, the future chapters. And you are always invited to come back to share the progress. Happy to do so. Thank you so much for having me. It was really a pleasure. Likewise. And to our community, thanks for being there. We keep bringing you the best of the best to help you make your life, to help make your life a little bit easier as you scale up your company. See you soon and keep scaling.